Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Jennifer Briggs on the line. Jennifer, how are you? I am great. How are you? I am great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And we talked a little bit in the pre-show about the work you do, but why don't you share with the audience some of the work you're doing, and then we're going to dive right into uh, a great opportunity for organizations to to be open to uh, as we come out of this pandemic and uh, redesign work. Uh, so I'd love to hear about your story. Yeah, that's a good lead-in. So for about 13 years, I worked for a company, a brewery in Colorado called New Belgium Brewing. Um, We were an ESOP, which means you're a business that's owned by an employee stock ownership plan. Those shares are held in a trust and the employees share in the value that they help create. And I think that's the line a lot of us use. People share in the value they help create. And that's a really important thing. So now what do I do? Um, I spend a lot of time with the Biostra Institute at the University of California, San Diego. I'm also a commissioner on the Colorado Commission for Employee Ownership in Colorado. Um, and um, I'm also that I'm working on a project for reinventing work. And how does that go? And And honestly, sometimes I struggle with it because... I think fundamentally, I'm not sure that we can truly reinvent work until we can reinvent how businesses are owned. And that's just one of the things that continues to go around is until people have access to not only labor income, but also the capital income that so many kind of, you know, that's where wealth is built. Um, We all need labor income. We all need our income that we get, you know, just because we buy groceries, we pay Um, rent, we pay our mortgage, but we also need for those other stages of our lives. And, you know, in some cases for our children, that wealth income that will sustain us um, after work. And, um, you know, I think the statistics on 401ks are pretty sad. And so in my world, um, ESOP is kind of the solution to that. But ESOPs, I do want to say, aren't the only version of employee ownership. There's employee-owned cooperatives. There's a lot of great companies that do that. So there's there's a spectrum of what employee ownership can look like. My expertise just happens to be in ESOPs. That's amazing. And let's dive into ESOPs a little bit. You know, why an organization would benefit uh, from doing that. Uh, and I know we we used a, a dirty word uh, during our pre-show called engagement. And um, you had a very, <laughs> yes. enli- and very enlightening thing about it, which uh, is, is definitely uh, educated me and brought uh, to it, my attention some additional things. And I, I agree with your assessment on that word. So you know, share a little bit more about ESOPs and, and, and the stuff that uh, yeah. makes them really, really beneficial. Well, first, let's kind of tackle that engagement. Like, it's such a tired word. It's become a euphemism, kind of not that different from culture. Everyone's culture, 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 but we know there's very bad cultures. Every company has a culture, um, but it's just like how bad it is. And so, we don't talk about those ideas with enough precision. And so, um, with employee ownership or, or you know, ESOPs or any kind of em- employee ownership vehicle, um, it really isn't, you know, there are some jobs that we all have to do um, that are tedious or mundane or just aren't good jobs. There's things that we have to do and produce that frankly aren't that fun, but that's just a part of our existence in the business. And so when you can 
marry these ideas of just getting your tasks done in the day, plus being a citizen of your business and being able to contribute, um, you know, wearing this other hat of I'm not only completing tasks, but I'm helping to grow the value of the company. And I'm looking at the customers and I'm concerned about their joy when they interact with my product. I'm concerned about the customer engagement, um, that combination of employee care, it really creates a powerful um, opportunity to make a higher performing business. And like a lot of your other speakers, I do believe that when we have healthier humans, that contributes to healthier business results. And I think for employee-owned companies, the addition there is they actually care about that because they're going to share in, in some of that wealth that's created. They're going to share beyond just, you know, a token bonus or, or what I'm getting in my paycheck. And, and also it, it gives value and knowing that you're working on something that is, you know, part of you as far as you are a, a partial owner or an owner, you don't even have to use the word partial. Say, I'm an owner of this organization. So therefore, I need to make sure that I'm doing my part to make sure that everything we do is successful because that will make me successful. And you get more, what's the word I want to look at? I'm definitely not going to use engaged. I I think that you're more invested into it where you actually... Um, yes, the mundane work, the, the tedious work, we've all had to do it. And you know, some of us thrive at it and some of us would rather have root canals all day long to deal with uh, that kind of yeah. stuff. Accounting is one of those things for some people. You know, I used to be an accountant and now anytime I have to do any of it, I'm like, oh, because oh, I did too much. I did too I much know. of it. I did, it was my career for a while. So it's like, I'm, now I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, but, yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, okay, this is a, an important component to the greater scheme of everything that we do. And it also, I think, gives the permission, and again, depending on how the organizations are set up, but it gives people the permission where they can speak up and bring awareness to situations instead of, if I say something to the management, I'm going to get yelled at, and then they're not going to do anything with it, where it it cuts out those silos that we see in pretty much every organization. Yeah. Uh, some, some of those silos are, are, you know, downright bunkers, you know, that are wartime proof. And you're like, okay, this is not going to penetrate anything. And it's frustrating, you know, when, you know, when a systems guy like me is like, okay, let's do this and this. I'm like, okay, wait a minute, you're going to have to get approvals from how many people? Yeah. And they're like, okay, no wonder nothing gets done. Well, and I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot like packed into what you just said. So, you know, simply plugging in an ESOP. So an ESOP is a, it's a vehicle of corporate finance that allows business owners to transfer ownership to their employees through a trust. And the laws that were put in place back in the 1970s about this allow certain tax benefits. And they really um, kind of are, a re- well, they're not kind of, they are in a, a retirement plan. And so simply plugging in an ESOP into a company or selling to the employees in this trust actually doesn't create that meaning. Um, so it really still requires really strong, powerful leadership. It's just that those leaders have an extra tool in their toolkit to be able to um, work with people. And when we look at our incentive structures, which all the stuff you said, I think fundamentally kind of goes around these incentive structures. Um, you know, in a lot of businesses, they'll do, you know, incentives, which are, I 
like them. They're good. They, they enable people to get more money, but they tend to be focused on individualism and my own ambition and what can I drive or what can my unit drive? And so when you look at broad-based gain sharing, cash options that everyone in the company has the opportunity to get, um, or in, in this case, broad-based stock that everybody will get through it, it helps check the horizons of like, I'm looking long-term, I'm looking three, five, even longer in what is the health of this business. And in the case of short-term cash gain sharing plans, people do care about how their work integrates with other people's work because it's not only about is my silo or my function being successful or am I being successful and am I driving X, Y, and Z? It, it, it creates that um, coordination and collaboration effect where people do want to coordinate their work. Um, they do care about the upstream and downstream effects of what they do. Um, but it's it doesn't happen just automatically. It's, it's really this toolkit that we give leaders and the C-suite in a business to make sure that they have, you know, they have things that they can do this to incentivize people to see longer. Um, and that long-termism, that is a, such a big deal. It's such a big deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, back, you know, not to date myself, but, you know, I was towards the tail end of people working for one organization for their whole career. And then, you know, subsequently, you know, a lot of us have worked for, you know, more organizations that we can count. We, we actually forget that we worked for somebody. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot I worked there. <laughs> yeah. And just because of, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, our you know, ability to, you know, work from all over the place. And sometimes mm-hmm. we like to relocate and live in different parts of the country or the world. And, and sometimes it's because, you know, the environment is such that it's just not a match for us anymore. And again, under, under this model, you know, the thing that keeps driving me home, and I think one of the things that attracts me to it is the fact that it takes a little bit of the individualism away when you know, okay, I'm working on this. Jen is working on this. Jim is working on this. Nathan is working on this. And, and, and you understand you have a more, you know, and again, it really depends on the individual. Some people don't care, but some people are more of the, I want to look at this from like a 10,000 foot view. What is the organization? What's all the moving parts? How do they all work together? What are some things that we can do? Again, Mm -hmm. this is getting rid of the silos where we kind of work there. And a lot of that, again, comes from the leadership and designing an environment where that is not only nurtured, but you know, it's definitely you know taken care of and, yeah. and focused, and making sure that that's you know what what happens. Well, and I, it makes me think. So, I just got back from some travels to a company that's transitioning to an ESOP. They're going to do it slowly over time. And I worked in an ESOP, New Belgium Brewing, for you know more than a decade. And the thing that both of those businesses, and actually a lot of employee-owned businesses, have in common is they're they're afraid of their culture becoming too corporate. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about this, like, what does that really mean? And a lot of the things that, that we are talking about could be corporate. So alignment, you know, who 
OKR, scoreboards, aligning people's work, those are very common in any business and corporation. So to me, it's a question of how do you use them that makes it corporate or not corporate. Um, when you focus on the community of people doing the work, when you don't talk about executing it in a linear fashion, but together we're collectively, we're not only aligned, but you're, we're unified. We want to activate that work. We want to put energy into it. We want to bring life to it. And to me, it's not the tools of you know strategic alignment, but it's how leaders use them, um, how they regard people. And you know, I love that word community because the the context I use it in is a common unity. One, we all want to make some money and we want to help everybody grow some wealth, and we just care about the long term health of this business, which means we're going to put our decisions through a different. I'm going to see more rigor, but I don't mean we're going to go through analysis paralysis. I and mean, we're going to talk a lot more contextually about what what are the effects of our decision. Um, and is this not only the right thing for finance, but is it also the right thing for HR? Is it the right thing for, um, you know, for, if we're working in hospitality, um, how is this going to show up to our guests? How are they going to experience it? And so they're just more holistic decisions from that context. But, um, you know, it doesn't mean that these businesses aren't taking the lessons from corporations. I think they're actually taking the lessons of utility, but they're taking the lessons of how they use them poorly and kind of flipping that on the head and saying like, wow, we're just going to do this a lot better. Um, and they usually want to be effective businesses first, and then they figure out how to get efficient. And we've seen a lot of corporations in the tradition or, you know, our modern context, I guess, worry about efficiency before getting effective. Um, and that's the short-termism. That's the fundamental dis- difference, I think, between short-termism and long-termism. Long-termism wants an effective business. Short-termism wants an efficient business. And we have to be both. It's just a matter of order. I used to work with a physician. I, I used to work in healthcare and uh-huh. I was on a lot of government panels with this physician and everybody was talking about it needs to be this set up this way. It's got to flow through this and this. And, you know, he came in and kind of looked at us like, it's good enough. Let's go. And he had like no patience for, you know, and, I mean, and I'm not saying he was mm-hmm. allergic to systems or designs or anything like that. He, he wasn't, you know, obviously he was, you know, he led, you know, groups and he was you know, head of the college of physicians uh, for a period of time. So he knows what he's doing, but he, he's like, why are we wasting time on this? It's like, well, how do we get everything to work, um, you know, together and we'll figure out while we're working together. Because if we sit here, we can sit at a table yeah. and try to design everything, but we're not actually, you know, in, the, in, in using lean technology. We're not, you know, we're not in Jemba. We're not where the work is. We're not, we're just back here looking at it. So let's, let's get in and, and figure it out and understand that, yeah, it might be a little bumpy. And I know, you know, many of the, you know, companies that you've helped, you know, initially it's like, okay, this is a little, we're feeling like, you know, toddlers learning how to walk again, but it's okay. It's, it's yeah. actually good because when you take a step back and you can look and everyone's seeing things and can contribute in a way where that environment nurtures that, that's when you start having the breakthroughs and say, yeah, the corporate has it all this way. That's great. We can use some of these tools, but we're going to make sure that we have the human component to it, not to pick on corporations, but we're going to add a little more human element to this yeah. so people actually enjoy the work that we're doing. And well, and to put it like in a real tangible example, um, 
so I was working with this company. It was a really fun experience and experiment to do. They were concerned about diversity in their workforce, as are a lot of companies. And it's a concern for us collectively as a society. Um, and they were wondering why they weren't getting a more diversity of applicants in to fill these particular manufacturing jobs. I mean, they were tough jobs. And when I went in and looked at it, all their shifts were designed for 12-hour shifts. And um, 12-hour shifts, if you've ever done them, they're really hard. You're on your feet a lot, um, especially if they're rotating. And this company did have rotating shifts, so it can can trick your brain a lot with um, your sleep patterns. And there really is a pretty narrow group of people, one, who want to do it, but who can do it. So many people have daycare options. Um, It excludes certain people just like if you're a student and want your energy to go to your learning adult or otherwise, or, you know, if there's things in life that you need to take care of, it really disrupts that. Um, But again, this business was designed about being efficient. So the 12 hour shifts mechanically were the most efficient. So if they would have added some more um, like fractional shifts done a few four-hour shifts and had a different rotation. It definitely added complexity to the shift scheduling system for the people that are doing the scheduling, but it allowed more people to work in the work environment. It created space for more people who maybe had things in life that they needed to do. Um, so, you know, when we look at the financial system as they were, the efficiency of the money, the efficiency of how the labor was spent versus the social system and how are we going to invite people into this work environment? They just weren't. Um, And they weren't considering the very narrow set of people that they were, that would even be able to do those jobs. And so that's a real thing. And then to make it even worse, this particular company wasn't doing things. A lot of your other speakers have talked on of how do we manage our our human energy in this kind of system that's act, that's incredibly draining? Um, they weren't giving people the skills and the tools. Well, first the tool set, but the skills to use those tools on how do you work shift work um, well? Um, and you know, in our current news cycle, we hear a lot about people in tech. We hear a lot of people doing virtual work. And sometimes I worry like those things are getting forgotten in the design of them. But that's just a real example of how this applies. Um, and and we forget about the people and the mechanics of designing the business, which it's just, it doesn't even make sense at all. But it happens every day. Yeah, and this pandemic has given organizations an opportunity to... I hear a lot of times people call this the great reset and it is an opportunity for companies to take a look at things and and go, all right, if we had an opportunity to reinvent the wheel, we've always heard, don't reinvent the wheel. You know what? Sometimes the wheel needs to get reinvented because that wheel uh, is a little warped and it's not a smooth ride. So take the time to look at things and go, all right, how do we, how do we do things? You know, look at the challenging areas and this is where, again, having, you know, everybody feeling comfortable to share their insights and viewpoints, uh, especially in the models that you work with, it it creates a lot of opportunity to bring things to light. And when the clarity is there, that's when you see opportunities. You know, I always go back to, and recently the scientist at you know, who uh, was part of the team at 3M that created the glue that ended up being on Post-it notes. 
you know, that it took years for them to figure out what they were going to do with that glue. And then they, you know, stumbled upon, you know, hey, we'll stick it to little pieces of paper and stuff. And next thing you know, the billion dollar product um, just because of creativity and an opportunity. And too many organizations don't nurture creativity. It's okay. We got to yeah. get this done, get this done, get this done, get this done. We don't have time, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because it's that creativity that comes up with more unique ways to do things or new opportunities for, you know, business growth or business ideas. And it's, it's a lost opportunity that too many organizations face. Well, there's such, so in, in fairness, I've never been to 3M, but I've read a lot about them. And I think they're a fantastic example of a good incentive structure, but also the corporate structure that I've read about so much with them is um, they, you know, if, if you've read about Dunbar's number that we get to a certain size and, and it's really hard for us to hold the group in a way that's really healthy. And my understanding is a lot of times they design their groups to be kind of human sized so that people could interact. And so that there was a, it was a little bit of, so, or a lot, probably a lot of social system design that went into how do we look at group size? How do we look at impact? How do we look at working together? And, you know, I love what you said, and I'd be curious to know what you're hearing around out there, but I'm hearing more and more business leaders are just kind of wanting to forget about what happened with the pandemic and move forward. Cause we have so much fatigue from that. You know, it was a very, um, uh, it was a hard time for people. And so they just have this almost nostalgia, this desire, just, just get back to normal. And I have that too, in fairness, without taking the things like you said of learning from it, how do we need to redesign it? But I'm concerned that there are not enough companies that are taking that pause and saying, we fundamentally, we have to rethink what we're doing. Um, and for those business owners too, um, you know, who are wanting to exit the business. You know, should I sell to PE? Should I just fold my business? Oh, what about what? If maybe I should sell it to the employees and not even knowing that that's an option. And that goes down again, back to the most fundamental of how is this business owned and starting right there. One of the things I'm seeing is a lot of, and we're seeing in different sectors, you know, retail is one where, um, and it was mentioned, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, and they called it the great resignation. You know, where you know, a lot of people are leaving. That's why you're seeing a lot of problems in restaurants. And that's why maybe you're seeing all the help wanted signs in a variety of different businesses because people aren't going back to those roles. And there's a variety of reasons why. And I anticipate as more and more of the office type work um, starts returning, those organizations that are saying, we just want to get back to the way things were. Uh, I think th uh, there's going to be a lot of employees that are going to say, I'm not interested in that. So I'm going to go look for a role that will allow me to work uh, in an environment where I can work remotely sometime and, and go into the office as well. Uh, I think hybrid, if I had to pick a model, um, hybrid would be the, the one that I would probably lean towards. You know, I tend to work remote quite a bit, so uh, it's easy for me to say that, but I, I think there's something to be said about face-to-face -face human interaction. Um, and I think a lot of us have lost that. And I get why a lot of leaders are saying we just want to get back because it has been a very, very yeah. uh, tragic and challenging period of time in the grand scheme of things in our lives. It's not as long as it feels, but yeah. oh boy, does it feel like it's been going on forever. Um, and, yeah. I, and I think organizations are really 
are missing an opportunity. And I'm not, I'm not saying organizations need to completely revamp everything down to the logo, but I think there are opportunities to go, okay, what would we change if we could, you know, what, what are some challenges that we were dealing with? Because we all had them beforehand. What can we do differently? And I love your example you just gave about, you know, the, the owner of the company is like, you know what, I'm, I don't want to go back. I want to sell now. I want to retire or I want to do something different. And, you know, they go, well, who's going to buy it? How much is the business worth? And you've got a you know, bunch of employees, but, you know, ideally the employees, you know, maybe have been there a long time and they're like, oh no, you are going to sell to a, a private equity firm. They're going to just liquidate and do whatever. And, and all that, and all of a sudden, all these people are, are no longer part of it. Or if, if they believe in the cause, whatever the organization is, you know, that employee ownership component of it is an amazing opportunity because then the work continues on and beyond. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good way to, to look at that as an yeah. option as well. Yeah, you know, and these things um, aren't just nice to have or kind of, you know, sometimes we'll talk about some of the, the what I'll call the quote unquote softer things at work. And because of that, they kind of get labeled as maybe feel good things. But the research in ESOPs that have come out of the pandemic have been so powerful. So um, ESCA did some research there, um, S-Corp employee-owned companies, ESOP-owned companies. And in my own experience, I'm on a, I'm a, a corporate director for an engineering firm here in Colorado that was a that is an ESOP, and what we did see is they were able to pivot into new business models faster. But I think it is the integration. So, for example, this engineering company that I work for, they pivoted pretty quickly into industrial hygiene, and talk about like somewhere where you really need to be when um, our air systems are and how how buildings are engineered is part of keeping us safe as we need these air exchanges to happen. But rather than having this very kind of that, that metaphor of the ship, the, you know, these big ships turning super slow, this firm really did act more like a school of fish or, or a flock of birds that should just be able to shift. But why was it? Um, I hope that it's the employee ownership that was a big part of that glue. But I also think the bigger part again was this, participation and distributed leadership where people were able to move much faster. They were already connected before the pandemic. So it just made that that shift so much easier. So these things, all the things that you talk about, that your speakers talk about on this podcast, they're not feel good soft things. They're hard things that lead to corporate performance. And um, these companies outperformed a lot of other um, non-employee owned companies, according to the research, because of that, that special kind of sequence of ingredients, employee ownership, caring about our long-term future. A lot of them have more distributed leadership and a lot of people just have this common unity, the community of people that allowed for a lot more model shifting. And there's restaurants in that hospitality service that are in that as well too. Um, so when you feel like I'm not just a wait staff, I'm actually a member of this business, that it, it's easy to say, but it creates such a different model of how I think about what I do. And it's so important. So, you know, a lot of us do believe all this will create a more durable, vibrant economy long-term um, that our economy as it is now is just not sustainable. Um, but you know, and it also helps keep the businesses a little bit more local, um, you know, to make sure that the dollars are recycling in communities. And um, I know when I buy something, I am 
it's it's become an unfortunate habit for me right now, but I'm always buying something thinking, where did the profit of this purchase go? Like who's getting this money from this product that I bought? Who's who is it? You know, and when you buy from whether it's employee-owned co-op or an ESOP, um, you know, when you um, like in Ohio, there's two great um, ESOP breweries, uh, Great Lakes Brewing and Rheingeist. When you buy from them, where does the money go? Um, part of it is being reinvested back into the business. And that that helps from a consumer relationship, I think. And um, so, you know, again, we're building an economic system using these different tools of employee ownership, but it still takes a lot of leadership. So all this stuff, um, it matters, but it it matters in terms of how the business performs. That's and like I said, I hope that more organizations take a long, hard look at this because I agree with you. The way that the economy is is not sustainable for a lot of reasons: interest rates, inflation. We could go into five thousand different <laughs> yes, directions yes, on yes. that. We we'll get we'll we'll you know we'll see if Chairman Powell's available for a phone call. Probably not. I'm, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I might be able to get Paul. I might be able to get Paul Volker though, but uh, that through a connection. But um, but he's busy too. So. Jennifer, I love this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? So I exist in a few different planes. So I have, uh, my website is alifeinmosaic.com. My, my, the business I started is called Mosaic Creation. I work directly for the University of California at San Diego with the Biaster Institute. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Um, so, you know, if anyone ever needs help, um, and wants to talk about this more or wants to do an ESOP feasibility study, my team at Beister, the Beister Institute would love to do that for you. And we would love to work with you and help make that transition. But just general sense, feel free to reach out. Um, I love the comp. Actually, as much as sometimes I don't like Twitter, the employee ownership community, just some of the hashtags employee ownership or hashtag ESOP, it's a very healthy, non trolly community on Twitter. So, you know, just follow those hashtags and join us and kind of be a part of this com- uh, conversation and hear what's going on because uh, it's fun. There's great people out there. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm excited, Michael, that, you know, you're going to, you're going to come into our community too. So this is a, it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a Venn diagram of um, amazing people. No, thank you for that. And yes, I'll have all that information in the show notes. So Jennifer, thank you again for the work you're doing. Uh, It's going to make the world much better uh, from employee work, uh, every aspect of life. So thank you so much for your time today. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the The Breakfast Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.